This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Outside the box. Hi, and welcome to September's Outside the Box. Sorry, September? What? It's March. I know. It's still March. I know. Do you remember when I said January when we were in June and then we cut it out so that people didn't think I was an absolute moron? I, t- I, I told you I cut it out. Moron. I left it in. <laughs> yes. Anyway, September's Outside the Box. We're actually recording on the second. We used to come out in the second week, but because, well, just because reasons. I'm not even going to go into them. We're doing it a week early this time. It means we've had slightly less time to watch stuff. So Mickey has, you have ma- managed to watch some things, more things than you did last month when you left me alone talking to myself like a crazy you were talking to your cat joan and i think that makes you five percent less crazy it's fine we talk to ourselves all the time hannah when we're doing intros and adverts you know i I knew you'd be fine you carried it off with a plum well i've got some photographs of peggy watching badlands she actually jumped up and sat in front of it and watched it i mean she didn't obviously she was clearly just being a fucking monster (laughs) anyway moving on yeah I have some things to talk about. I've been taking some viewer, no, listener, some listener requests this month. I know I'm quite snobby about who I take my requests of normally, but on this occasion I have taken a couple of requests, so I have things to talk about. Plus, I hate Susie and I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which you and I have watched. Bit of Miriam Margolis. Yeah, so lots to talk about. What do you want to start with? Should we start with what we've both seen or should we start with what I think the best thing I've seen since, well, at least since I May Destroy You, which is I Hate Susie. I really want to watch I Hate Susie, but I haven't got Sky, so I cannot. I know. Increasingly, you've got to wonder whether Sky is worth the investment, because we talked about it a lot over lockdown. There's been some pretty good telly on Sky. I don't, I, to be honest, I don't even know how much it costs, and I have it. So, But maybe Now TV might have I Hate Susie. I'm not talking to you, Mickey. You can do what you like with your money. I'm talking to other people more generally. I just wish they could see you setting fire to that tenor so you can light a cigarette. Look at you. It doesn't care how much it costs. Got to get her in her eyes. <laughs> so, I Hate Susie, eight parts on Sky. They're about half an hour long-ish. It's interesting because this is pitched as a drama, whereas I May Destroy You, I think, was predominantly pitched as... Was that pitched as a, as a drama or was it pitched as a comedy? Dramatic comedy, I think. Right, well, this obviously is the same. And we had that conversation recently about how, you know, certain things, are, like the categories are, are starting to... There's a Venn diagram now. I fucking love a Venn into, diagram. Like, and right in the middle of that is Succession, which is properly a drama, but also fucking hilarious at the same time. And I Hate Susie is by Lucy Preble, who obviously is involved in Succession and I think if you like Succession, you'll like this because there is a similar vibe. Co-created with Billy Piper, who she worked with before on Confessions of a Cool Girl. Is that what it was called? Yeah, thanks, Mickey. She's nodding. Lucy Preble is absolutely great. Playwright, obviously, and uh, many other things besides. 
So the premise of this is an actress slash former pop star. I mean, very much in the vein of Billy Piper herself, clearly. But that really does work to their advantage because it means they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So she she is now an actress. She's been involved in sort of sci-fi and goes to conventions, that sort of crowd, obviously. Billy Piper in Doctor Who. So again, she knows what she's talking about. And what happens is some photographs of her giving someone a blowjob are hacked from her cloud or somebody else's cloud and get into the public domain. And it's about what happens to her after this happens, what happens to her marriage, what happens to her career, what happens to her relationships with other people. Which obviously, like I say, much like I May Destroy You, is swimming around in areas of like feminism and consent while at the same time being just totally hilarious i fucking love the way lucy preble writes dialogue she is so genuinely funny it's unfair to compare it to i may destroy you because i don't think there'll be many things this decade that are actually as good as i may destroy you but it is it's up there certainly i think i hate susie going to be one of the better things on television this year i think much like i may destroy you it knows its time it doesn't just know its subject matter it knows its time which I think is perfectly summed up in this by the fact that one character says, well, it was a penis of colour. Um, <laughs> which actually made me full-on bar laugh. <laughs> Leila Farzad, who I was just having a bit of a rave about on Twitter because she is totally brilliant in this, plays Susie, who's Billy Piper's character's best friend and agent. And she is absolutely just smashing. And she, again, she delivers... Some incredible lines. One which is really Sir Humphrey Appleby-esque in which Billy Piper says, do you want me to be honest? And she said, yeah, be honest about how you would feel if everything we were saying was true. <laughs> it's just incredible. She also says at one point, you send one of ours to the sex hospital, we send one of yours to the sex morgue. <laughs> again, but it made me raw laughing. Yeah, I like it a lot. It is very, very good. Oh, now I have to get Sky, don't I? When I start watching television again. Yeah. Also on Sky, I just want to mention briefly, Lovecraft Country, which I've watched three parts have been on. I've watched the first two. Oh, is it HP Lovecraft? Is it Weird weird Fiction is its actual name? Weird Fiction. Yeah. So I would not judge any series on that subject matter on two episodes because it could start off badly and get better or equally. It could start off brilliantly and end appallingly. But what I will say of what I've seen quite far, so far, I actually am enjoying. So it's going to be over 10 parts. It's it's HBO, but it's like a co-production between Monkey Paw, which is Jordan Peele's production company, and Bad Robot, which is J.J. Abrams' production company. So, I mean, it's got weight behind it. It's about a black man in America in the 1950s who comes home from the war to discover his dad is missing. And he decides to go and find him. He's played by Jonathan Mayers. His dad is Michael K. Williams and his uncle who goes with him on this sort of road trip across quite scary 1950s America. It's played by Courtney B. Vance, who was Johnny Cochran in the... What was that called, Mick? People versus O.J. Simpson? Is that what it was called? The pretend one. <laughs> the fictionalised one. With the John Travolta hair. Yeah. I mean, I know very little about L.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Apart from the fact that in he fact, was... his name. H.P. Sorry. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> apart from the fact that he was a proper racist. Like, full on. So, 
They were I, all into the, the eugenics back then, weren't they? It was big. I get the feeling that given how well Jordan Peele has mixed race and horror, and given how well things like, well, most recently Watchmen have mixed race and sort of superhero type stuff, I feel like this has the potential to be really, really good. But I'm not going to make any kind of judgment on two episodes because, like I say, sometimes these things have a tendency to be really great for three episodes and then spiral out of control in a way that I can no longer watch it. Are you going to continue to watch it from what, given what you've seen so far? Oh, given what I've seen so far, absolutely. Michael K. Williams, I would watch him read the phone book. So... Yeah, I mean, that's not even a thing anymore. Should we go on to I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is also on Sky? Yes, which I have seen because I've seen it. <laughs> You've seen it. Well done, Mickey. Well done. I, I watched a thing. I know this is three things on Sky, but all I can say is perhaps they'll pop up on now or on other things. But yeah, anyway, sorry. I'll Be Gone in the Dark six-part documentary series by HBO by Liz Garbus who has decent credentials she did Love Marilyn and she did Whatever Happened to Miss Simone so yeah she's good it covers three things simultaneously which may be its downfall but we can discuss that named after a book by Michelle McNamara amongst other people which I will also get to and it's sort of this three sort of strands the first strand is the search for justice for the victims of the at the time this was made unfound uncaptured unpunished golden state killer who is or was not until recently very famous but raped and murdered a huge amount of women also known as Eron's probably worth pointing out which was east area rapist and the original night stalker yeah and that was the acronym they gave him the second strand is about michelle mcnamara a writer and wife of comedian pat noswold who was writing a book about the golden state killer and died before she completed it in what seemed to be a really a surprise death for everyone, but uh, some other things are later revealed in it, which in itself is quite an interesting strand. And the final strand kind of covers the phenomena of why people are so fascinated by real crime at the moment. It's got all of the relevant players included. It's got a lot of victims of the Golden State Killer. Um, Pat Oswald is involved. A lot of people are involved in this. I think certain strands are way better done than others. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I would say that the strand that follows the victims of the Golden State Killer, who incidentally was jailed last month, so there is justice. You, That's not a spoiler. You will have seen that in the news, or maybe you won't. I think that strand is incredibly well done. I think it's very moving. I think it ultimately remembers who the victims of these crimes are. I guess they they were the victims of the Golden State Killer because that's what he went on to be known as, but they are more accurately the victims of the East Area Rapist, aren't they? Because the victims of the Golden State Killer are dead. Are dead. Well, yes, that's... Uh... That's a, a fair point, obviously. And we're talking like a staggering number of women, dozens of women. Back in the um, 70s as well. This was a long, yeah. it was a very cold case. Who've lived with it for a very long time. And I thought that stuff was interesting. I thought that people spoke quite movingly. I thought the sort of 
the lessons possibly we could learn about, you know, that's the ultimate point of a documentary is what can you learn about the world after watching it? I thought it was really interesting on how victim had such a disgusting word. I can't think of a better one, though. How that goes on to affect people's lives, how people deal with it, whether or not they've been allowed to talk about it, whether or not they've had people... I mean, for a start, at one point, somebody comments how only one woman remained married to the person that she was married to Mm -hmm. after this happened to her. So I think it tells you a lot about that. I think that's quite well done. The stuff about Michelle McNamara is done less well, I think, partly because it crosses into the bit about why are people so obsessed? Because she was also so obsessed. Well, she started off writing a blog, didn't she? The True Crime Diary that got a, a lot of attention where she was looking at these cold cases or solved cases of serial killers. And from that, I think stuff like My Favourite Murder, which is a really, really popular podcast, owe a lot to what Michelle McNamara was doing, you know, in sort of my space times. Yeah, but because it led me to question what drove those people, it leads you to question some of her decisions, Mm -hmm. which kind of conflicts with the idea that ultimately it's quite a sympathetic story. She's, She's a nice woman and things should have hopefully worked out differently from her than they did, which is sad. Yeah, absolutely. She's addicted to it, isn't she? And and she meets a lot of other people who are addicted to these cold cases and solving these cold cases as well, in the same way that she is. And they get called by the documentary citizen detectives, which I think is a very dangerous thing to do because it gives them status. And I think when Hannah and I chatted off-air about this... We were both wondering what happens now that this case has been solved for these people who have given up reams of their time and life to trying to solve this case. Because the kid yeah. and the social worker, who, which are the names that, you know, Michelle finds them on various forums discussing this case and then she gets in touch and they meet up in, in real life. Basically... It's like collecting stamps all your life and then suddenly there are no more stamps left. What do you do? Particularly because that coincides with what's happened for everyone in the other half of the documentary who they have had some feeling of relief, of release. Because they had a reason to want to see this person caught. Yeah, they they had... that That was to put their demons to bed or justice or whatever it was that they were searching for. They had no choice in being involved in his story. Yeah. Whereas these other people have chosen to be involved in his story. And it's almost like we're supposed to feel as attached to their feelings around it as we are the victims slash survivors, mm. however they would wish to be termed. And yeah, I'm not buying that. I don't know if it does ask us to do that or whether that's just how we sort of the conclusion we've come to. I don't know if it's asking for sympathy for them. I don't know. I don't the, know. There was a shot of the kid looking all sad at the end going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Yeah, that's true. That is true. When they actually find the guy who did it <laughs> and find his family, there is an interview there with his nephew. Oh, there. Wes. It's frankly, <laughs> wild. I can't believe that Wes looked back at it and they, they said they were okay to use mm. it. It was, yeah. Yeah, there's a really, really poignant moment as well where a lot of the women who are survivors of the hysteria rapists. Again, victim survivor, I think it's very much up to the person to to decide how they wish to be termed. But these women go to see him being on trial, basically. They go to see the the trial of this guy. And 
one of the women just goes, oh, like, he's just a little old man. This little old man. And it's that real poignant thing of they've been waiting for like more, most of their lives to feel this. And he's a disappointment to them. Yeah. And I think that's really sad because they're not frightened of him anymore. And he's held this over them or it's been held over them for so many years the problem with it, there's a really, really good documentary in there, I think, but it's just too long. And the, the, by dragging it out over six parts, it makes it feel like a drama, particularly because they end on a cliffhanger each time. And yeah. it is partly dramatised as well. You know, there's an actress doing Michelle McNamara's voice. Amy Ryan from The Wire. I think they played it too much like a drama, which isn't what I want from a documentary. Although saying that, Wormwood's brilliant and that is mostly dramatised. But for some reason it works much better in that. I can totally see why they have gone for a six-parter because there are great documentaries, particularly on Netflix, that have done that six-parter thing. And you've got OJ Made in America, which is just stunning. But some of the best documentaries that you and I have talked about recently have been like two hours. Crip Camp, 16 Shots. Perhaps what's tainted my opinion of this slightly is that there is other stuff in there that it just hasn't touched on because when you look at the excellent documentary that the BBC um, and I wish I could remember her name because we interviewed her and she was great. How about the Yorkshire Ripper? She was asking questions about why it wasn't solved sooner and that is something that this documentary kind of glosses over. I mean I know it's different in America and I know that police very vast area that, that was being covered in some cases, in some cases, it was women in adjoining streets. Huge period of time, etc., etc. But the question of how those women were treated by wider society when it happened to them in the 1970s is really interesting and was entirely absent. It's fascinating. It, it, I think you're, it's not quite entirely absent. It's just there enough to be really fucking underdone and frustrating. In there. Yeah. So the, the questions that you might imagine that would come up is like, you know, even though this, this guy ticks all the rape acceptance myths box, he's a stranger. Mm. He breaks into their house at night time. He holds them at knife point or at gunpoint. A lot of the the women are very young, the, you know, a lot of them are teenagers. All of these things, which means people go, oh yeah, well, that was a real, that was a real rape. And inverted commas, I'm hoping my yeah. comedy voice there gets across how fucking annoying and wrong yeah. that is. And so you've got the, the female police officer who was involved at the time, in the case at the time, actually saying it to one of the women who's been raped, is there anything you think you could have done differently? when this woman has been bound on her front and held it. And you, it's just maybe an attitude you expect from the, from the 70s. But it's played like that doesn't still happen, that there isn't still victim blaming. And I found that really infuriating. Yeah, agreed. Nonetheless, probably two hours of this that are very good. Agreed. And also worth pointing out that Mickey and I, neither of us are the biggest fans of true crime stuff. If we were perhaps we would feel quite differently about this if we were actually i'm interested to know how you feel you are being represented by the depiction of fans of real life crime because ultimately there is an edge of it is a bit weird yeah yeah i'd also recommend not waiting until the first time you're in your house at night on your own for the past six months to decide to watch something about a man who breaks into houses and rapes women. But that was just my experience. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Missy. <laughs> I, should have, I should have said. 
welcome back to the section I'm going to title What People Asked Me to Watch or Suggested I Watch or perhaps more told me I might be interested in. So I'm going to start with something that's on the iPlayer, which I was under the impression is new, but it isn't new. But I don't think it's ever been shown on terrestrial television in the UK before. It's Hulu, because you're talking about harlots, aren't you? I am talking about harlots, yes. Do you remember when we had Julia Rayside on last and she was talking about that great flood of the forest of stuff that arrives in September as a drama? Yes. Like, you're like, I can't can't do it all. And there is a lot of stuff coming, but equally... In certain areas, there seems to be not much stuff coming. Netflix, for example, has, for the last month, either been flogging me The Fall, which is... Let's not go there, uh, Hannah. No, let's not talk about The Fall. (laughs) Its algorithms aren't working if it hasn't picked up on my feelings about The Fall, but which is an old BBC series, and then switched on to flogging me Benidorm. Which is an old ITV series. I think, secretly, it's got you banged to rights, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Equally, I haven't seen that much new stuff on the BBC. But just to mention, Diane Morgan's sitcom Mandy, which I haven't had a chance to watch, is there. Okay, Harlots. So, it's on the iPlayer. I believe it's playing the first two series back-to-back on... when it's actually on TV. Set in Georgian London, it's essentially the tale of two madams although they were called boards in those days one who's very rough and ready who is played by samantha morton one who is very fancy smancy who is played by leslie manville it's based on hayley rubenhold's book covent garden ladies and hayley is on board as a historical consultant which did alleviate one of my concerns about this i can't remember who it was that recommended that i watch this but thank you anyway who did because yeah i quite enjoyed it i had a concern it might be have a touch of third wave feminism view of how it was to be poor in 1763 but that i don't think is the case yeah it's good samantha morton's really good actually samantha morton and leslie manville are both excellent they're both doing what the well, I was going to say what they do very well, but I did say to you that I was a bit concerned that Samantha Morton always plays characters that are really frail, really fragile, and I didn't know how I'd feel about her being big and, you know, whether or not I'd buy into it. But actually, I think she's cracking in it. So whoever it was suggested Harlots to me, yes, I quite enjoyed that. I think it's it's really interesting as well. The first time I ever saw Samantha Morton, it might well have been her breakthrough role, was in Band of Gold which is also about prostitutes, but much more contemporary. I'm just checking um, now on the IMDb. Soldier Soldier, apparently, and Boone were her first TV appearances <laughs> in 91, and Band of Gold was 96. The second thing that someone suggested I watched was Our Man in Belgium. Simon Storvik suggested to me that I watched Miriam Margolis's Almost Australian, which is a three-part factual, I don't know, documentary is probably not the right word, a series in which the, in, the what's the word I'm going Indefatigable. for? Indefatigable. That's the word I'm going for. Miriam Margolis decides to take a, a road trip around her adopted nation of Australia to find what she repeatedly refers to as the Australian dream, which... <laughs> She is the kind of human who could absolutely adopt a continent. If anyone is going to adopt a continent, it's Miriam Margolis. And they'd just be like, yeah, all right, come on in. Simon suggested that I watch it because he said it contained the sort of Miriam Margolis being the way that she is 
it sort of had a kind of fear level to it in that every sentence she started, you were like, oh, how's it going to finish? <laughs> you know, he is absolutely correct about that. I've only seen one of them. And I would say, again, it's probably quite unfair for me to judge because it starts off, I have to say, with me thinking, oh, my God. The very first person that Miriam goes to speak to in it is a Chinese immigrant who has become a multimillionaire through buying and selling property. And obviously Miriam Margolis is absolutely delighted, you know, by this as a story because that was how her mum made her money when she was younger and, you know, and she saw it as a really positive immigration story about how millionaires from China are coming to buy up property in Australia. And I just... I thought, oh, God, this is just going to be just her crashing, like, just really insensitively in, like, in an out-of-touch fashion around Australia when, you know, the question of who owns Australia is still so painful for many Aboriginal communities. But also how big investment from abroad isn't actually that good for local communities uh-huh. either. You know, it pushes the prices of houses up. And, like, that's why homelessness is a massive problem. And But oddly, she comes to this conclusion herself by the end of it. So it's very much a watching Margolis learn and given that she is a woman in her 70s, you know, I kind of think, well, good for her that she is prepared to learn. Yeah. What's it called? Miriam Margolis work shit out. Is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah. Almost Australian. I mean, I love Australia. So it's nice to look at Australia. Oh, it's go, beautiful. Oh, yeah. isn't it beautiful? And also there's a very particular kind of Australian character that the further into the centre or the further out of cities you go you encounter and it is entirely fascinating that people live quite tough hard lives hard as nails women that I know she's going to bump into as she goes along yeah to find you know how like in Tim Minchin's I mean obviously that's a sitcom but yeah the sort of bit of Australia that people don't get to see that often but currently she's only been to Sydney and Melbourne so I'd be interested to see what comes next so thank you for the recommendation Simon Lastly, another one of our international listeners, Clara, whose uh, surname I don't know. I think Clara's in, in California. I think she's in California. Suggested that I watch Umbrella Academy. And I want to start by putting the disclaimer on this that although I didn't like Umbrella Academy, I'm glad I watched it because I feel like I've learned something about young people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but I feel like maybe I'm Miriam Margolis crashing around in a really out of touch fashion. Uh, have so you learned that? I need to dip in. Have you learned that you need to rewatch Misfits because it's very good? <laughs> so I told you that. No, I no, feel. I'm just saying because um, it's very. They've stolen a lot from. Or it, well, it is very, very derivative, mm. and surprisingly, you it turned out you'd watched it, and my brother had watched it because my nephew really likes it, so my brother watched it with him. But you know, notably, like had not recommended it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but really enjoyed talking to me about it funnily enough he was like oh I've had thoughts for ages but well yeah we it. had a little chat too and I was like oh yeah. yeah I obviously didn't I didn't think you'd like it but yeah I have had thoughts because do you remember when we were talking about how Netflix was basically creating algorithms of what people wanted mm, which is why you're going to watch Benidorm yeah, which is why I feel like Umbrella Academy is the result of it. Feels It's incredibly mm. derivative. I mean, let's start with a thing on what it is. It's about uh, a series of children who have special powers, who were adopted by a millionaire who was like cold and distant. They've all gone their own separate ways and they are reunited by his death and uh, have to save the world. It's a graphic basically. novel originally, right? Yes. yes. I mean, it is, I could 
tell you a list of things it's like. I mean, most notably Misfits, although what, what I find most frustrating about it is Robert Sheehan. I think he's good at what he does, albeit what he does is being somewhat typecast and limited now. But he plays ostensibly the same character, not exactly the same character that he plays in Misfits, but is kept on a leash because Misfits is for kids that are about two years older. And therefore, he is like Nathan on a leash. And I just want him to be funny. He's quite funny, but I want him to be really funny. Yeah. So I feel like that's a missed opportunity. It's a very good Pete Doherty impression, though. Yeah, well, yeah, arguably. It uses music really freely from other stuff. I mean, it has a massive punch up and decides to use Queen's Don't Stop Me Now, which, you You know, know, Shaun of the Dead. That's already been done. It attempts to make Top Loaders Dancing in the Moonlight a romantic song after all of us now just think of Four Lions whenever we hear it, or most of us do. It even uses, like, end music for a film, which is wrong, to my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that has to be used very, very, very... It's like This Woman's Work by Kate Bush. We know it sounds appropriate, but it has to be used sparingly. What it most reminds me of is basically it's the Royal Tenenbaums if the Royal Tenenbaums had superpowers. Is basically oh yeah yeah is. particularly the um, obviously they're not related but the brother sister romance well they're not related in the Royal Tenenbaums either no I know but I was is just it? I was because oh, right, I was about yeah. to say brother sister it's I mean we have this conversation off mic but we might as well have it on mic in that it, it's much like Stranger Things to me I don't know who it's for I really don't know who it's for I mean I think it's got like a fourteen or a fifteen certificate on it. It's very, you know, hit with the kids in the fact that it's got LGBT characters. Who, but nobody ever goes further than kissing on it. It feels very chaste mm-hmm. in that sense. It has a lot of sex jokes, but no sex. Yeah. And it, it's really slick. It is so slick. It's, it's too slick. But there's even, like, scenes where the fighting out of it is literally glow moves. You know when Debbie does a big move where she gets the guy around her head and she does a tumble and that that mm-hmm. exact move is in it. So it feels like they've even been trained by the same people. I will say there is some good stuff that I liked. I think Cameron Britton, who is in the first series, I watched the first series and I watched two of the second series and then I gave up uh, because the second series was what I'd actually been advised to watch because it's about the some of it's about the counter sit-in protests in the 1960s. Anyway, what was I saying before I said that? The Cameron Britton. Oh, yeah, Cameron Britton's great. But the young kid in it who plays the time-travelling one who is now stuck in the body of a 15-year-old kid and is played by Aidan Gallagher, who I think is brilliant. I think he plays actually about 50 and stuck in the body of a 15-year-old. He seems to be playing Nick Offerman stuck in the body of a, <laughs> 50 year old, of a 15-year-old boy. And I, you know what, I'm, I'm 100% here for that. So there are touches of it that I think are good. But I like Pogo. Uh, part... Pogo was my favourite character. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't like a monkey? Bloody monkey. It's amazing. Intelligent yeah. monkey. Oh, and the mum. I think the mum's excellent. The robot mum. She is. Whoever plays her is doing a great job as well. I'm sure I'm not his market. It's the same as with Stranger Things. But I think it's perfectly possible to find something that me and my nephew both enjoy. So it could have been that thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it is perfectly possible, perhaps in different hands. It hasn't been renewed for a third series as far as I know, but that could well be because what's the point? Because, you know, who knows what's going on in the world of television at the moment. So it could well, that, that's a COVID thing rather than anything else. Because I would imagine, to be honest, that Netflix 
ratings are phenomenal for everything at the moment yeah so it's sort of going through stuff and working out what they actually want to make a new season of on that note line of duty is back to filming and that made me wonder if you had any news about succession and indeed Uh, glow season four no, I've seen nothing. I mean, to be to be honest, I haven't googled that hard. But no, I have I have seen nothing on either of them. To be honest, I think the first thing that's most likely to be back that we were looking forward to coming back is Fargo, because Fargo has five completed episodes, so it just needs to start filming again, and then it can start playing. It's not one of those ones where, like with HBO, they filmed all of it or the overwhelming majority of it. Fargo, film an episode, film the next one. You know, like things like Friends used to film like that. I did not know I mean, that. But, you know, maybe you know, Mickey Noonan finally understands shit could be coming to a station near you. Outside the box.